Miss Macintosh, my darling, chapter 71, last part. His roll-top desk in the space between two oblong windows gave me pause again, suggesting that it was I who dreamed, not he. At least that it was I who had been attracted toward this wild, unorientated world, that such a world was a project of my soul. Where, where was common sense? Yet could I be held responsible for what I saw, the other soul exposed at one broad, terrible glance? Perhaps I should have shut my eyes, my ears, but I could not help reading the date on the calendar, which had been changed by so many calendar markers. Mary Pickford, with her long yellow curls hanging over her shoulder, looked out from a misty green, and the calendar which he illustrated showed visibly that it was twenty years ago, and autumn instead of spring in the doctor's life. Autumn and autumn instead of spring and he had gone to deliver a baby and there was a bean shooter on his desk and the cubicles were filled with prescription blanks western union telegraph pads boxes of corn plaster and india rubber erasers where was the telephone there was no telephone though dr o'leary dr o'leary often during the night had complained of its ringing so often in so many emergencies how no sooner would he be asleep than he would be awakened in the winter darkness by that insistent voice which took him out of bed because of the woman in the country racked by the pains of labor two we must go though the roads were covered with ice the trees were bowed down with icicles it was because of the woman in the country that sarah must not hold him down he had cried in his anguish because of his large practice he had cried she must go back to the place where she was born old old baby crying on the floor old old baby kicking her legs what could he have to do with sarah coming here to taunt a graduate of yale with his impotence this was his life he had told sarah and he was too old now to change his habits too old now to embark upon a new career i could see how his old habits persisted there was a magazine rack lurching as if this room were a ship on a rough sea and though the mariner had no chart there was such reading material as decades ago the pregnant women thumbed through while waiting to be assured that their hopes or fears were either to be realized or were groundless now only the dream patients thumbed through these old magazines but perhaps they too did not know how time had stopped the harmony of earth with heaven was promised in an old forecast and i read that this and of a star rushing toward this world bound to collide with it in spite of all our consciousness despite all our conscience could do to evade a stellar traffic accident which would blot us out before we knew it a recipe for how many croquettes fluttered out of an old magazine what is the best method of removing the odor of the skunk from human clothing what shall i do if my husband leaves me there were wild mares who, on the coast of Lustiana, were impregnated by the wind only, according to an old geography of loose leaves which fluttered from my hands. Queen Wilhelmina of Holland was an excellent housekeeper, sweeping the castle with a vacuum cleaner, but I was always one to pick up all kinds of diverse, useless information, so I turned towards the doctor's more coherent medical library, a bookshelf above the bed which, covered by rumpled gray blankets, might still conceal him from his dark cave looking out at me. There were dusty tomes describing diseases in Central Africa, Asia Minor, and everywhere but here. The gazelle peninsula, the Transvaal from the inside, the goiter belt, the diseases of the king penguins, bronchitis. I thumbed through various chapters, various headings, indexes, footnotes. The causes of ejaculatory praecocks among the great American elks. The diseases of coal miners, bipolar medicine and old dog-eared school books like primers for children in the primary grades, the three bears, the cow who jumped over the moon, little Tom Thumb and walks in Rome, Lalo Rook, Tim Swift, Tom Swift and the Land of Giants, Keats' Ode to the Grecian Urn, 
Notation upon a flyleaf in large, round handwriting. Died of tuberculosis. A guide to wildflowers. Everybody's baseball. What's wrong with democracy? In southern Germany. Were books and pamphlets fallen behind the bed? Salvation Army exposed. White Knights. Inside Ibsen. The President's Daughter. And Poor Richard's Almanac, which I knew so well. And How to Make a Man Healthy, Wealthy, and Wise. And other titles I have forgotten. There were numerous charts and maps of medical diagnosis cast by Astrolab. A stiff brochure, flyspecked with age, written by the doctor when he was young, described senility, a collapse, a softening of the brain, the ebb of reason, the impairment of speech, most of those symptoms which I supposed he now experienced. The floor creaking, I turned expecting to see Dr. O'Leary, but there was only, as I have said, his clothes hanging from the wall. But better, I thought, pursuing my earlier speculation, to have a naked doctor walking abroad than the doctor's clothes without the doctor. What curious derangements were these, where I was in search of a beauty such as I had seen once and lost. My foot kicked against an object which looked like a telescope, though what it really was I could not guess. Then as I stood there like one enchanted, lurid illustrations fluttered out from under the sagging bed, fluttered into a golden light, diseased kidneys, enlarged hearts, crippled hands. His province had once been death, but now it was birth, and he had gone upon the self-appointed mission to bring an imaginary baby into the world here in a barren countryside. Out in the hallway, breathing a sigh of relief, I shook the dust from my clothing, thinking that, after all, I attributed too much importance to the wildness of the bus driver, the hangman, the doctor. For here there were surely those good, beautiful people I had come to find, people who went about their accustomed business, people who did not think too much, fat-faced farmers, farmers' wives. But alas, my ideas of what they would be like were vague and shifting like a landscape never seen, only imagined. I was stopped at the top of the stairs by a woman whose head was capped in metallic curlers, who swam toward me, it seemed like a huge, omnivorous shark. Her mouth was opening and closing, her face contorted with a cold rage as she barred my path, stretching out her arms. She was half-dressed. She had not finished putting on her complexion, for the high red lighted only one cheek, the other was ashen. But she did not care what appearance she made in this place. Ah, she knew me. Yes, she did. Yes, I was one of those tramp girls, she insisted, coming in here to keep a decent woman awake all night. Wasn't I ashamed of myself? Ashamed I ought to be. Could I not think of what her condition was? No, I could not think, I said, and it was not I who had kept her awake all night. And if there were a couple screaming, I surely had not heard them. I had slept alone. My lover had no arms, no head, no body, no feet. I apologized lamely, almost as if I were talking to myself. And as for noise, I had heard only the old doctor talking to his little sister, who had come to torment him, who was sometimes five years old and sometimes sixty-five, depending on his point of view. Oh, that. She was not referring to that. An old, old story. The poor doctor was, as everybody knew, in his second childhood, imagining things, and there was no Sarah. None at all, she confided. Unrelaxed but friendly, her voice lowered. No Sarah at all. I was imagining things, she said, for the doctor's little sister had been dead for such a long time, was never seen around here, and if I had heard a silent woman crawling in the room, it was Tabitha, as everybody knew, crazy Tabitha, the chambermaid who was too crazy to be on relief and who had come in to hold the doctor's hands at night, thinking thus to get a baby by him, but she never would succeed, and if it was a scandal, it could not be stopped, for the doctor was as crazy as Tabitha was. And perhaps they should both be put away, and then what would happen to them? He was such a fine doctor, and Tabitha met well and made a good bed. But it's the couples I am talking of, she suddenly screamed, her body writhing. The hitchhikers and the ice skaters and the marathon dancers who come in here and keep the walls shaking all night and walk all night above my head until I think my head will burst wide open. Do they have any respect for the peace, she screamed, or for the marriage bonds? I am a widow. My husband died before he ever came to bed. 
God, where shall I turn to? She could see, what could she do but see the doctor when he came in from his morning calls, for there was no hope from the landlord. When I asked her if there was another doctor, one who was perhaps sane and could help her, she said impatiently with a wide stare, O'Leary, he's my doctor. Do you think I'd go to the other one with my aches and pains? O'Leary, he was the one out at the saloon now, she had no doubt, or at the restaurant. And though he would always get around sooner or later to the subject of pregnancy, for he had that thought in his mind, he still knew it was good for her, what would restore her youth, for he had forgotten nothing of Medica Materia. It was a fact, or had forgotten more than most people ever knew. He could just look at her and tell her what was wrong with her. The other doctor, Simon, he who had the greater practice, could, would she go to him, the dirty Jew, let a Jew paw all over her? What did I take her for, a fool? Was I a communist? Did I believe in sharing the wealth? Hitler ran him out of Germany. Do you think I would go to him with my aches and pains? The Jews are taking everything. The Jews around the world. The Catholics don't practice birth control because they want to overcome us. They want an American Pope. There are no Negroes in this country, for the sun will not set on a Negro's head here, and we won't have them. I don't want mulattoes. Hitler is right, I tell you. There's a nigger in the wood pile somewhere. It's all the fault of that Roosevelt in the White House. She shook her fist. She screamed after me. Downstairs in the hotel lobby where the hangman had danced, the empty hat trees, the white spittoons, the cold stove, the uneven floor, the ceiling with the great hole in it, the curtainless windows, the green baize curtain separated the hotel lobby from an ill-concealed bedroom where I could see half a cute brass head bedstead, half a tall dresser, and where someone moved, heaved, sighed, a slap, slap, slapping on the floor, and the silence as I saw on the counter the dried inkwell. The quill pen, the hotel register, and those three tiny monkeys who proverbially see no evil, hear no evil, speak no evil, and an advertisement by a local preacher for all mortal household goods and furniture for sale if it did not rain on the Friday before the world's end. At last, however, the green base curtain was parted, revealing the immense bulk of a woman lost in her flesh, one who moved ponderously with slow, short steps, her small, soft hands moving like homeless birds in the air before her, and her mouth half-opened as if to sing face was lost in rolls of glistening fat. A goiter like a melon grew up from under her three chins. Her eyes, small, dark, and intelligent, stared at the windows beyond me as her small, soft hands moved homelessly in the air, having nowhere to rest, as she soon explained. If I was checking out, then I should say so, for if I would go, then I would be a gone, she said, but if I stayed, then I remained, for there was no air else, and there was no Sarah in the book as I could see. She and the landlord aimed to please, just as the sign said, and like the three monkeys, they saw no evil, heard none, spoke none in the downstairs, and what went on in the upstairs was nobody's business. Her husband and she were owners of the hotel, but given up, and she had not climbed the stairs for many a month ever since her hip was sprained. But there was no Sarah, or else she would have paid. The beds were made by Tabitha, and the landlord counted the heads. Stay her gone, I could, and see if she cared. There was never a bank robber here. It was conducted as it was conducted, and there was no ringmaster, and there was marital happiness. When she rid the elephants, she asked no questions, nor when she married the landlord with the old hound dog barking his heels, nor when they, nor when they earned here. Things went weller and weller in the upstairs, even if, of course, she had not clomb the stairs for money a month ever since her hip was breaked and the flesh got her who was the small dancer that was lost and if things went worse and worse with her in this great disuse then they did or if not then not and none to say the landlord had had his heart breaked ever since 
ever since the old watchdog took off and was given the Eucharist Christ in the queue by the priest who came on mule's back and wagged his honest tail before he died and died in the landlord's arms and was put under and was given by him the martial funeral and shoot the gun at the sky to scare the other bird. It was the best old watchdog ever he did live and the best Catholic who went even when it rained one Sunday per month to drink the wine and wagged his tail three times for Father, Mother, Holy Ghost. And the landlord stayed at home. But now the priest not back, not come back to where the shall, to where the swallows pitched, and that was what she told her husband to fall away again. And so he was. But the rest of the old watchdogs were Methodists like her and got their souls saved without the dogs' allology. Dogsology. It went barking away to those green ills and barked here no longer. And landlord fallen away, and so sh and she so buzzy with the whippoorwills flying in her face, and the hearse races that the hotel could go to the dogs and none care but Tabitha who kept the old duck clean, and the old woman quiet up the stairs and did the rough work every season, every since last spring, and would work her toenails off if it was not stopped and do as she was told, not letting them tear the sheets and not talking, for she was muted as a stone in the stream. And Tabitha could not talk, was the only one with sense, as she had always said to the landlord, her husband, a picker of wild furs upon the green hills. They were government inspected, had no bugs air in this hotel. Tabitha washed and sheeted and wearing the castaways of a small dancer who heard the elephants. I could stay or be gone, and no one asked a question. The lieutenant governor of Indiana combed here and sleep here three springs gone and made a speech about her husband, a sailor in the ills, and eaten a banquet of wild duck at the restaurant where the poor girl kissed the health officer before she died of tuberculosis like a snowdrape. But there, <coughs> but there was a new waitress now who cleaned out and swept clean of the germs ever since the last waitress taken off the tuberculosis with her baby in her arms. Esther Longtree got it all cleaned out and going to have a baby this month and every moon a real lively one that she had been a carrying for money a year and talking. But Tabitha was muted like a stone in the stream and not talking. In the pale spring air, watery streaked with bands of sunlight, Tabitha knelt washing the stone flaggings. Her black curly head was held down, her round fat feet drawn under her as busily she washed one round stone that caught the sunlight. Old gray birds' nests clung to the rafters of the narrow gray porch that fronted upon the street. The cat was sunning in a pool of cold sunlight, watching not the bird, but the shadow of the bird I did not see. Then Tabitha looked up, whispering, low but clear, Good morning.